Well, this coming Thursday is Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is this Thursday. Men, do not say you forgot. You have been warned. More money is spent on Valentine's Day than any other holiday except for Christmas. It is estimated that $18 billion will be spent this year on Valentine's Day. And about $1 billion of that $18 billion is people buying gifts for their pets. Truly, I kid you not. Everybody's getting in on Valentine's Day. And I'm sure some of you here will, will join in by buying cards and, and candy and, and flowers uh, for that someone special. And you buy that, those things to let that person know that they have all of your heart, that you love them with all of your heart. It, it makes sense because nothing expresses or demonstrates who we are more than the heart. The heart is the symbol of Valentine's Day, right? And, and we see the heart when we, when we give gifts to, to that someone special. It lets that person know that you have all of me. Nothing else represents who we are, our emotions, our soul, our inner being, who we are. Nothing represents who we are more than the heart. Everything kind of funnels through the, the physical organ, the heart, but but we see in Scripture, it always talks about the heart, talking about the entire person, the entire being, who we are, what drives us. If you have a person's heart, you have all of them. And our, the same goes with our relationship with God. If God has all of our heart, he has all of us. Right? And that's, that's what we see all the time. If God has all of our heart, he has the entire person. And there's a, a, a fitting title or a fitting quote that comes from a book called How People Change that expresses this very well. It says, the heart is the steering wheel of every human being. Everything we do is shaped and controlled by what our hearts desire. That is why the Bible is very clear that God wants our hearts. Only when he has our hearts does he have you. I can't think of anything that states it much clearer and much better than that. If God doesn't have all of our hearts, we will be led astray and we will be partially devoted to God. God may have some of us, but he will not have all of us. But God desires to have all of us so that we will not be partially devoted, but that we be totally devoted to him. And we're going to see that today in the story of King Solomon as I preach from the topic of led astray. Led astray. If you would, open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 10. I know your programs say a divided heart, which is certainly similar, but you want to make a late inning change and call it led astray. Amen? 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23. And if you would please stand for the reading of God's word in reverence to God's holy and errant and 
infallible, perfect word. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23. If you don't have your Bibles, you can share with someone next to you, or you can look up here on the screen. And the word of the Lord reads, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone came who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices and horses and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Kew. The royal merchants purchased them from Kew. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and of the Arameans. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father has been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I have commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Amen. Solomon was the king of Israel the successor to the throne of his father, David. I mean, Solomon had what many of us would probably dream of. I mean, he, he really had it all. He had great wisdom. He had great wealth. I mean, he had a, a great upbringing. He had a father who was a national icon. He had it all. He had great, he had great wisdom. He, and we see this in the book of Proverbs, where it's stated also in Scripture that Solomon wrote, over 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs. Many people, including the Queen of Sheba, came to visit Solomon just to pick his brain. 
just to get some wisdom from Solomon and just to find out, man, what, what type of wisdom does this guy have? But not only did Solomon have great wisdom, not only was he wise, but Solomon had great wealth. God blessed Solomon with tremendous wealth and honor. I mean, when you look at Solomon, he had this palace. The palace was called the, the Palace of the Forest of Lebanon. And scripture just helps us to see how wealthy Solomon was. I mean, Solomon received, it says, 50,000 pounds of gold each year. 50,000 pounds of gold. I don't know exactly how much that is, but I was kind of looking some of that up. And, and I, I think that's a, a, the equivalent, if not more, than a tractor and its trailer, a big rig. I mean, that's a lot of gold each year. And that wasn't even all of it. Solomon's palace was, I mean, it was just crazy. I mean, he's, he's, he, had, he had the six steps leading up to his throne. His throne was inlaid, it said, with ivory, and it was overlaid with gold. I mean, he had, he, he had all this going on. His throne was, he even had his, his cups were, were gold. All of his household items, it said, was gold. Can you imagine drinking out of a gold cup? I mean, we, Solomon, he had it all. He had, he had his own navy, right? He had his own navy to go and bring things back. I mean, forget about dogs for pets. Solomon had baboons and apes for pets. I mean, he's having that stuff imported in. No one was as wealthy or as wise as Solomon. I mean, he really, he had it going on. I mean, God had blessed Solomon like no one else. Had blessed him mightily. But we see a problem. Even though God blessed Solomon with great wisdom and great wealth, Solomon's heart was led astray. His heart was led astray. His heart wasn't led astray by the money or the, 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 the wisdom. His heart was led astray by the women. It was the foreign women that Solomon had a problem with. For many people, great wisdom would be their downfall. Right? Sometimes those who are wise can be proudful where you can't really tell them much. Uh, we see some individuals, I mean, astrophysicists, Stephen Hawkins, I mean, the great, I mean, just really wise. God is blessed with a lot of knowledge, but not a believer in God. Some people, it may not be wisdom that draws them from God, but it may be wealth. This is the reason why God's word says the love of money is the root of all evil, because money has a tendency to drive us or draw us away from God. So money has a tendency sometimes to lead us astray, to pull us away from God. But that wasn't, that wasn't Solomon's problem. His, his wealth and his, his wisdom wasn't what drew him away from God. It was his love for women that, that turned his heart away from being totally committed to God to where his commitment to God was, was divided between loving his wives and doing what they called him to do, which was to worship other gods and to love God at the same time. So, brothers and sisters, we see that Great wisdom will not keep us from being led astray. Solomon had that. Great wealth will not keep us from being led astray from God. Solomon had that too. A, a great family upbringing, although it is, it is important and it, it is good, it will not keep us from being led astray from God. And some of you, if you're like me, you look at Solomon, you're like, man, he had it all. He, had, he, he was from the... The, 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 the lineage of, of, of David, he was, he was David's son, and he had wealth, he had wisdom, 
He had all these things, but yet he fell and he, 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 he was led astray. So what hope is there for me? Well, I come to tell you that if, if you put your, your sights on Jesus Christ, if you look at the, at the Christ and the cross, then that is where our hope is. Our hope lies in Jesus Christ to keep us from going astray. It's important for us to keep our eyes fixed on him and not fixed on other things. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Keep our eyes on him. Total devotion is not to be sinless. Sometimes we look at maybe what what does total commitment look like? What is total devotion? Well, it's not to be sinless. Because if that was the case, David would not have been referred to as one who was after God's own heart. Because David himself, he sinned mightily, but at the same time he was known as one who was after God's own heart. Because David was totally devoted, totally committed to God's glory, totally committed to doing what God had called him to do. There's only one that has walked this, this life and has been totally sinless, and we know that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. To be totally devoted to God is to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our might. It goes back to that heart, to, be, to love God with everything we have, to give God everything we have, and to, 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 to give the Lord everything you got and to not look back, to not be divided, that our allegiance to God not be divided between him and between something else. I think there's a, a great story that illustrates this. There's a a woman by the name of Charlene Cothran. Charlene Cothran was a, 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 a used to be a, a homosexual who was really adamant about gay rights, and she was really um, on the front lines of, of gay rights and the gay rights activist movement. Had been doing this for a number of years. She actually was the editor of a magazine called Venus, and she said that one day she was in a parking lot, and uh, there was a, a gay rights movement or, or activity going on, and she felt just an overwhelming presence of God just on her and, and shame. And she said at that, at that very moment, she felt God speaking to her and letting her know that you're going down the wrong road. And if you continue to choose, if you choose to continue to go down this road, then I will be so far away from you that you will not hear me speaking to you. And she said at that very moment, she gave her life to the Lord. And she, she saw that Jesus Christ, he, he redeemed her from her sins, and he, and he cleansed her and washed her clean. And she said that from that very moment, she, she, she and, I, and I quote what she said, she said, I intend to be just as out about my transformation as I was about my lesbian lifestyle. I have given every gift I have back to God, including Venus Magazine. And so we see an excellent picture of what it means to be totally devoted. She was living one way, and when she was converted and and saved by God, she took what she had, and she used everything she had for the glory of God. And that's the same for us. Whether we are on our jobs at work, we work and we do uh, our work for the service for the Lord. When we're in our families, we uh, are, are to be husbands, that love our wives as Christ has loved the church. And women are to surrender to their husbands as Christ surrendered or submitted to God the Father. And so we see everything comes up under this total devotion, us being totally devoted, and it impacts our entire lifestyle, just like it did for Charlene Cothran. 
So the question is, what about you? Are you completely devoted to the Lord? Are you completely devoted to the Lord or, or have you been led astray by your love for people or your love for material things or, or your love for, for something else? Maybe it's not necessarily that you, you love it, but maybe you're led astray because of the way it makes you feel. The way that it, 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 what it does for you, whatever that may be. Each and every one of us have a tendency to be led astray by something that's maybe different than other people. And so we have to look at that. We look at Solomon. And in, it talks about what was his problem. What led him astray? It was the women that led him astray. And for each and every one of us, we have to understand what is, what is our tendency? What, is, what are we likely to be led astray? What is it that we, we sometimes place in the position of God? And we love more or love the same as we do God. I know some of, some of us, we come to church, but are you totally devoted to the Lord? I know that you, you may faithfully give your tithes to the Lord, but... Are you totally committed and devoted to the Lord? Because we see that God, he, he's, he's not just wanting our, our tithes and, and our money. He's not just wanting a part of our time, an hour or two of our time. He's not just wanting us on Sunday morning. God wants our hearts. Because he knows if he has our hearts, he has all of us. And there's nothing that we would not do for him if he has our hearts. Just like for somebody that you love, that's someone special. When they have your heart, there's not much that you would not do for them. They're always on your mind. You're always thinking about them. And so we need to look at our lives and see what is driving our hearts. What is driving your heart? For Solomon, it was the women. For you and I, it may be something totally different. One thing is for sure, we are led by whatever we cherish the most in our hearts. We are led by whatever we cherish the most in our hearts. That's what steers us through life. That's what really motivates us. It's whatever we cherish the most in our hearts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts are driven by whatever we treasure, whatever really drives us. I remember, you know, when, and again, everybody's different. I had, I treasured cars. I mean, that was my thing. And so for me, for me to, you know, I knew the weather report and everything because I, I needed to figure out if it was going to rain, when I was going to need to wash my car, and, and everything. My, everything kind of centered around, around that. And I had to figure out, okay, how long am I going to have this car? I may keep it for two years, maybe three years, then I switch it up, change it up a little bit. That was my treasure. Now, for you, that may be something different, but that was, that was one of mine. And so... We have to be careful with what is our treasure. What is it that we, we love the most? For some people, it may, not, it may not be that. Your treasure could be your family or your friends. It could be your family where you, you love individuals in your family so much that you would do for them more than what you would do for God. You would sacrifice for them that you would not make sacrifices for God. We see... There's a, a division. We're divided when we, God does not have our total heart. And the same thing we saw with Solomon. Solomon, it says that he was devoted. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. 
his God in verse 4. It says he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely. And so Solomon did not abandon God totally. He was partial to God, and he was partial to the other goddesses. So Solomon was worshiping all of these gods, and he saw them all the same, which is the problem that we can get into in our lives, where we make idols out of certain things. We make idols out of maybe our clothes, or make idols out of people, or make idols out of whatever it may be. We build it up, and we start to love it all the same as we do God. And our, and our devotion, our commitment, our love for God is compromised as a result of that. So do we love our families or our friends? Is that what's leading us away from God? Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These are words from Jesus Christ himself. Now, when we look at that, I wonder, what is it that you think? I mean, Jesus Christ says, anyone who loves your father, your mother, your sons, your daughters more than me, he says, you're not worthy of me. He didn't say, let's not put in there what Jesus Christ didn't say. He did not say you're not to love your father, your mother, your daughters, your sons. He says you're not, it's not what he says. He says, anyone who loves them more than me. In another passage, Jesus Christ says, if anyone does not hate them, then you're not worthy of me. You cannot be my disciple. And what Jesus Christ was saying, your love for me should be so much greater than your love for others. And so Jesus Christ is, is speaking to us and, and helping us to see that we're our devotion and how much committed we are to be to Christ so much more than even others who we may love right now. God's word is, 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 is convicting because sometimes we put people up on a pedestal. Sometimes we have a tendency to love others more than we love Christ. For others, our treasure may not be people. It may be material items. It may be something maybe a little less tangible. Some, of it, some people have a tendency maybe to treasure being pleased or pleasing others. And so your aim and your, your whole aim in life is to, to be liked by other people. And so that's what you have a tendency to do. Whatever pleases someone else, that's, that's what drives you. You want to be, be famous or you want to be popular. And so that may be what drives you. And so you're, you're compromising your lifestyle instead of being devoted to God and being faithful to him. Is there anything you love more than Jesus Christ? Now, I, I know I'm not, I'm not expecting to see, see somebody say, yeah, you know, there's something I love more than Jesus Christ. But if we, if we keep it real, is there anything that you love more than Jesus Christ? And let me rephrase that. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? I mean, what occupies your thoughts? I mean, when you wake up in the morning, what is it you think about? When you're getting ready to go to sleep, what is it you think about? What occupies your mind during the day when you start to daydream? I mean, what are you thinking about? What am I thinking about? 
What occupies our time? What do, you, what do we spend most of our time thinking about? What really drives you? I mean, what is your passion? What is it you can spend all night talking about? I mean, spend all night. You don't, you don't care what time it is. If somebody talks about that, you read it. Talk about Jesus Christ, I got about 30 minutes. 30 minutes what I'm going to give you. Whatever controls our hearts, whatever controls our hearts is usually something that, that comes pretty automatic to us. It's automatic, right? No one has to push and prod us to do it. For example, vacation days, right? A lot of people work, right? You got vacation days and sick days, right? How many of you have to be told when to take your vacation days and your sick days? Or how many people have to be told to use all of their vacation days and sick days? You will use them days and make sure they are gone at the end of the year. Don't leave any on the table. Maybe unless you're getting paid for them, but other, and maybe not even that. I'm good with using vacation days and sick days, right? That's automatic, right? And so it's similar to, to, our, uh, to what, what really drives us, our passion. It, it comes automatically to us. We, we love to do it. it. It's not something that we have to be forced to do. Now, if, if working on Sunday is voluntary, if it's, a vol- if, if it's voluntary for you to work on Sunday, for example, and you're always volunteering to work on Sunday, then maybe your job is leading you astray. I don't know what it is, but we have to look and see in our own hearts what is it that is drawing us away from God. If you have to be constantly encouraged and convinced that it's a good idea to read God's word, but you have no problem reading and posting 20 Facebook entries in one hour, then social networking might be leading you astray from God. I know everyone does not like reading, but if you have no problems jumping on Facebook and reading and writing posts all through the day, that's a problem. It's got a stronghold on you, and, it, and I'm not just picking on Facebook because there's a lot of things. And so we have, to, we have to look at our lives and say, okay, what is it, what is it that's driving me? What's driving my heart? Does God have all of my heart or just some of it? Like Solomon, Solomon, God had some of them, but not all. And God wants all of us. Whatever controls our hearts is something we usually can't get enough of, right? You can't get enough of it. Some of us, we just can't get enough sports, right? You just, sports, 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 U of L playing, I'm watching them, right? How many people stayed up last night? Don't, don't answer that. Don't answer that. All right. Somebody fit. Five overtimes, like I'm there, I'm watching it. Six overtimes, I'm there. Right? Gotta be there, gotta watch it, right? Sometimes sports may lead us astray. So, if the Lord says, if the Lord convicts us us and says, I want you to just, I want you to be in prayer for, for three hours. I want you to come and I want you to just lay yourself out before me. Three hours? It don't take all that, Lord. But that's kind of our that's kind of our mentality, right? And so what is leading us astray? What is driving us? Some of us it may it may be it may be rest for some of us. 
right? Laziness is driving us. And so we have to see what is really in my heart. What is, what is, really, what is really controlling my heart? Does God have a control of my heart? For Solomon, he just, he just couldn't get enough of the women. He, Moabites, Ammonites, Sidonians, Hittites, whatever it was, Solomon, I mean, 1,000 women, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Concubines were, were kind of wives as well, but of a lower rank. They weren't what you would say. I mean, he has 700 royal wives. Those are wives that came from some royal family of some sort or what have you. But 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, can you think about the child support on that? I mean, I mean that's, that's a lot of children running around. That's, I, mean, but, I mean, he had a lot of gold. I mean, Solomon, I guess he figured he could take care of it, but that's a lot. I mean, that occupied a lot of his attention and his time. And so, the same with us at times. You know, we, we just can't get enough. We just have to have more and more sometimes. It's never enough. Never, never satisfied, right? Never satisfied. That's, and that's, you know, that's the, the time in which we live, quite honestly. When we, we just want more and more, right? We, we just... The, the, we have this our right to right and our choices our right and our choice is more important than obeying God and we see that with Solomon where God had told him God had warned the Israelites for many years back in the exodus with Moses he warned them do not intermarry do not intermarry because he said they will draw your heart away from me Surely he says they will. But sometimes we get a little prideful, right? And we be like, I, I got this. I can handle this. And before we know it, we're, we're led astray. And we see Solomon, all of his attention was not with God. He, he was somewhat committed to God, but not completely. Somewhat. Are we somewhat committed to God? Or are we fully committed to God? Obeying God's word when we're somewhat committed to God, obeying God's word is seen as an option. It's kind of like when you go to McDonald's and you see all the choices or whatever and we go to, you know, it's, it's kind of like that's how we picture God when he doesn't have all of us. Like, I, I, want, I, want, a, I want a happy meal and I want a, a side order of encouragement. Do, do I want that living water? No, I don't want to drink that living water. I don't, I don't want that. We, we kind of pick and choose what it is we, we want to obey, like Solomon, picking and choosing what to obey. And that is, that's the time in which we live. At some point, I imagine Solomon saw God's word as, as less important. Saw God's word as less and less important. He, he disobeyed God's word by, by having multiple wives. That was his first mistake. By having multiple wives, by having a thousand wives. Nobody needs a thousand wives. And, and so he disobeyed there, but he also disobeyed when he married outside of his nation, Israelite. Because all of these other nations were worshiping foreign gods. And so for us who are in the world, but not of the world, Jesus Christ has called us to be in the world. 
But we have to be careful about what everyone else is doing. And not to be lured in to everything that everyone else is doing, else we'll be led astray, we'll be drawn away, our commitment to God will be partial. Not totally devoted. Solomon's actions would eventually lead to the kingdom, the nation of Israel being split. So it didn't just affect him. It affected, Israel was never the same after Solomon. Never the same. You had 12 tribes, and after that, they were split. You had the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And after that was a long list of wicked kings. And so we see that our actions, when we get led astray, it, it not only affects us, it affects other people around us. We influence other people around us, our sons, our daughters, our whoever it may be, our friends, it affects other people when we're led astray. It, it doesn't affect God, but it affects us. Not only could it lead to us losing out on the kingdom of God, it could lead to others losing out on the kingdom of God because they're influenced. They see what we do. They see how we live and be like, you know, it must be okay to do this and to serve God at the same time, to have partial commitment. Many people follow us down the wrong road. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, did the same. Five years after Solomon died, five years, everything in his palace was taken by the Egyptian Pharaoh because of their disobedience to God. And so we see the, the devastation. We see the, the impact, the, the hurt, the harm that comes from us being led astray from God. It, it certainly impacts us. It certainly, it certainly is, 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 is something that is devastating to us, but it's also devastating to those around us. We'll look at Jeremiah 7, 17 through 19. It says, Do you not see what they are doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers light the fire, and the women knead the dough and make cakes of bread for the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. But am I the one they are provoking, declares the Lord? Are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? Are they not harming me? God says they're not harming me. They're harming themselves to their own shame. And so that's something that we have to be mindful of. When we're led astray by our lustful desires, it, it, it is a personal problem, but it's also a social or a community problem. Our actions contribute to, to larger, larger social problems such as sexual immorality, addictions, crime, young boys and young girls following after their parents and doing the exact same thing. And so we see this continuous cycle of disobedience and rebellion against God. And so we see the, the devastation that comes from us being led astray from God, just, just as Solomon. Just as Solomon's actions not only affected him, but they affected his, his son, it affected the entire kingdom. Changing the wayward ways of our families starts with us being totally committed to God. If, if we're going to change rebellious ways and 
and have an influence on our family, it starts with us being totally committed to God. It starts with us, not starts with someone else. And, you know, the, 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 the thing that is so tricky about being led astray is it's something that can happen over a period of time. It's, it's gradual. For we see that chapter 11, verse 4 says, As Solomon grew old, wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. So this happened over a period of time. Solomon continued to say, okay, I'll add, I got one wife, Pharaoh's daughter. I'm going to add me one more wife, and I'm going to add a, another wife, and, and then I'm going to add another wife, and and it just gradually, I, I, I've got this, God. I'm good. I'm, still, I'm still, still doing my sacrifices and my offerings three times a year. I'm doing everything God has called me to do and add another wife and then add another wife. And then eventually, he's getting further and further apart from God and doesn't even know where he's at, doesn't even recognize and acknowledge. And a lot of times, that, that, uh, the same can be said for us. We, we get, before we know it, we look up. And, and we don't know what happens. One day we're singing a song, I am sold out. My mind is made up. And then the next day we're talking about, I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. And then we're asking ourselves, how did I get here? I was, I was on fire for the Lord. And then like Minister Bishop preached about a couple of weeks ago, our heart is just cold. Drifting, drifting further away from the Lord. And that's what Satan does. He, he pulls the wool over our eyes so we, we really don't even know what's going on. Falling asleep. Falling asleep. You just don't know what's going on until we wake up one day and we're kind of like, man, this is, I'm, I'm in a, a, a bad spot here. Been coming to church the whole time. Maybe been coming to Sunday school the whole time. Maybe been faithful, giving your tithes and offerings the whole time. Maybe been doing those things, seeing those things as being something that's your salvation. Been doing that the whole time, but steadily drifting further apart from God because of our commitment to other things and, and our non-commitment to God. Because, because God is not what, what who's on our mind all the time. Maybe because he's on our mind Saturday night when we're getting ready for Sunday morning. But Monday through Saturday, God doesn't, he's not in our thoughts a lot of times. We're not so concerned about how, how's my life, am I glorifying God throughout the week? Is, 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 am I making God famous during the week? Am I concerned about his honor and, 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 and my transformation throughout the week? Because if we're not careful, like Solomon, we'll, we'll slowly drift away. It's not something we wake up overnight and it's, it's, it's a change, but we're slowly drift away. I remember, uh, you know, and this is just highlights the point. I mean, even though we drift away, God, he provides warning signs. He, he will speak to us in, in his word. He'll, he'll help warn us when we're drifting off course, if we would just listen. But sometimes we, we get that pride within us. We just don't, we just don't. Listen, I remember I was going on a business trip, business trip one day to, to New Jersey. And if you've been to New Jersey, I mean, they got roads going everywhere to New York. And, and, you know, I've got my directions. I've been there a couple of times. 
and I had someone else driving with me, and, and I'm driving, and, you know, a lot of the roads, they kind of look the same to me. So we're driving, and I think I'm following the directions, and my passenger says, you know, you think we on the right, you know, are we going the right way? And I'm like, yeah, we, we good. I, I remember seeing this before, this over here on the side. I remember seeing that. I think we're good. And before you know it, we're coming up on the George Washington Bridge, and I think we're over like in the Bronx or something. I'm like, man, how do we get hurt? Had to get back. I'm going to New Jersey. I'm in New York. And so that's sometimes how we are when we, when we don't heed God's warnings, when we don't heed the, what, he's, what he's telling us to do. Sometimes we hear it so much that we just, we kind of, you know, been there, done that, heard it before. I'm good, right? And before you know it, we'll be way off course, way off course. Just as I have become overconfident in my travel, we too can be led astray because we ignore the warning signs that we're headed in the wrong direction. Are you being led astray? Are you going in the right direction? There are, I think there are a number of warning signs that, that we can look at or that we can see to know if we're, if, we're, if, we've been, if we're being led astray. But there's a couple that I think are, are pretty uh, consistent. One of them is we have an, in, an indifference towards sin. What's an indifference is little to no concern for sin. I mean, it, it, it bothers us, but we kind of shake it off a little bit. I mean, it, it's not that big of a problem. Our heart becomes hardened to our sin. The further we get away from God, the less sensitive we become to sin. The closer we get to God, the closer we get to Jesus Christ, the more we are in his word and we see God's, ref, God's word reflecting back on who we are, we get a little bit more sensitive to our sin. Even things that we used to not be sensitive to before, we start to become sensitive to it. When we start to see certain things on TV, used to not bother us before, but now we're like, man, why they got to have that in there? Right? I remember we went to see a movie one time. I, I, I won't mention the name, but I, I, I should have checked on some of the sites to see what was going on, you know, and pretty popular movie. And there were a lot of people laughing. They had some words, some cuss words and things. And I was like, ugh, ugh. It was like somebody was cutting me. I couldn't enjoy it. And it's not to, not to say anything good about me. I'm just saying that as, as we get closer to Christ, we become a little bit more sensitive to sin. And when we're led astray and our hearts start getting harder, we, sin doesn't bother us too much. Not only does our sin not bother us, other people's sin doesn't bother us. Like, I, you know, me, myself, and I, I don't care what they do. We don't care. So not only do, that, that's one of the warning signs, indifference to sin, but also indifference to God. We have little or no concern for the things that glorify God. More concerned about maybe ourselves than God. And so we see there are a couple of things that we can see and, and, that warn us to maybe being led astray. And we have to be careful. Solomon found himself building places of worship for these other gods. 
building places of worship, on the high places. He's building places of worship. Just like he spent seven years building a temple for God. What God had called him to do. He spent seven years building a temple, but he also spent, I don't know how many other years, building worship places for these other gods. So it's not enough for us just to, to do and to devote ourselves to some of God's service we also have to restrain ourselves from doing things that draw us away from God. Because of Solomon's unfaithfulness, he broke covenant. He broke the covenant established by God. That's what God says in verse 11. He says, so the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I have commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. A covenant is a, a binding relationship between two that is based on total commitment. The most common covenant we're familiar with outside of relationship with Christ is, is the marriage covenant. When you say, I do, to death do us part, right? You're like, here to, I, you, I'm yours, you mine, we, we here, to death do us part, right? Two years later, I'm, I'm tired of this. To death, that's a long time. That's a mighty long time. Let me start thinking about our own life. And, but, and, and oh, how much of, an, of a parallel that is with our relationship with God. God calls us into a covenant, into a relationship with him. To be totally devoted to him. And to be more devoted or to love anything the same or more than we love Christ is, is, to, is, 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 is unfaithfulness. And so later, later today, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, it serves as a reminder of our covenant with God. Helps us to remind us of, of the covenant that, that when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we entered into that covenant that was based on total commitment. And that, that covenant speaks of God's love and his faithfulness toward us. That covenant is sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we entered into that covenant with God. And if, when we're led astray by other things, we're going against that, that covenant, that, 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 that commitment that was made to Christ. Because you died for me, Christ, I'm going to give you my life. Because you gave me your life, I'm going to give you my life. Not a fair trade, Christ, but, but that's all I got. I'm going to give you me. And that's, that's all Christ wants. He says, I want, you, I want you. If anyone must follow me, he must crucify himself. He must be, we must be crucified. He must die to our old self. Matthew 26, 28 speaks about our covenant with God, Jesus Christ. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so this covenant Jesus Christ has established with those who put their faith in him, who trust in him as Lord and Savior of their life. He is, it's a covenant that washes away all of our sins, that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Certainly it is worth the faithfulness that God asked for. So, looking at this covenant, this 
relationship with God and this commitment that God calls us to. What if we are led astray? If some of you find yourself have been led astray, if you find yourself in a place where you're not totally committed to God, that God is only a part of your life, but he is not your entire life. If you find yourself there, just, first of all, seek forgiveness from the Lord. God is faithful to forgive us. If we would seek forgiveness from him and turn, and to, to turn from what led us astray back to him. Let us not keep going down the same road that we're continuing to travel. Let us not continue to go down the road that is drawing us further away from God. But let us, let us turn from the way that we're going back to him. And, and although turning back to God is an individual act, I strongly recommend that you share your struggle and your weakness with another brother and sister in Christ. Strongly recommend it. That is why God places us in community with one another, so that we will be able to, uh, to share things and areas in which we're weak. Minister Bishop and Pastor Jamal, they know some of the areas in which I'm weak. I, I count on those guys to help keep me, to hold me accountable. And that's what we're here for. We go to a brother and sister, look, man, this is, you know, this is a, a problem for me. This is where I'm struggling at. I'm weak in this area. I need you to kind of speak into my life every now and then. Kind of, uh, uh, you know, come to me at times and ask me, how am I doing in this area of my life? And sometimes there are, there are areas in our lives, there are things that, that we need to, to just cut out. We need to let it go. There are some things we maybe can't do that. You have loved ones. You can't just get rid of your loved ones. That's not what God is calling us to do. I think we have to just really look more at Christ and, 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 and fall more in love with Christ and, and look to him more than we look to our loved ones for whatever it may be, security or whatever it may be. I'm confident that if we keep our eyes on Christ and the cross, we will see that there's nothing more worth our soul, our time, our effort, our life than Jesus Christ. If we just keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. If we keep our eyes fixed on him, but that requires that we, we stay in his word. Requires that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That requires that we spend some time with Christ. Don't put him on the sidelines. That requires that we, we make some sacrifices. That requires some effort for us to give up some things. For Christ. Are you giving up anything for Christ? There's a story that I think really helps us to see what total devotion is about. There's a story that's said of Cyrus, the Persian king. It says that Cyrus captured a prince and his family. And Cyrus asked the man, he said, what would you give me for me to let you go? And the man said, I'll give you half of my wealth. And the guy said, okay, Cyrus said, what would you give me if I released your children? And the man said, I will give you everything I got. And the man said, what would you give me? Or Cyrus said, what would you give me if I released your wife? 
He says, he says your majesty, he says, I'll give you my life if you, if you release my wife. So Cyrus was so moved by his devotion, he let the whole family go. And on their way home, it says that the, the prince was talking to his, his wife and he said, he says, wasn't Cyrus a, a handsome man? And his wife says, I didn't notice. I can only keep my eyes on you because you were willing to give, your, give up your life for me. How much fitting is that for us who know Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, who gave his life for us, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and look at how beautiful he is and what he has done for us, we will not be as enticed and lured away from the things of this world. Even though they may look good, even though they may, may, they may provide temporary satisfaction or they may please us for a moment, look at what Christ has done on the cross. Look at his life being given up for your life and my life. And I'm sure that we, wouldn't even, we won't even look to entertain anything else or not as much as we would Christ, because we know what he has done for us. So regardless of how, how good things are in this world, nothing looks as good as Jesus Christ. I pray that God will help us to see the beauty of Christ, see the love of Christ, see the grace of Christ, that we will see him and not desire other things, and put them alongside Jesus Christ or alongside God, and have full commitment to God rather than partial commitment to God. Amen? Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we, Father God, first we come, Lord, just asking that you will forgive us, Father. Forgive us for not being totally committed and devoted to you, Father God, not just individually, but even as a body of believers, Father God. Pray that you will forgive us, Father. Now, Lord God, I pray that you will move in our hearts, Lord, that you will be what we desire more than anything else. Father God, may we fall out of love with this world and fall more in love with you, Lord God. May you be our life and not just part of our life. Help us, Lord God, to see, to know. If we're struggling or we have been led astray, Father God, I pray that you will speak to that individual at this moment and give them the courage, Father God. Give them the strength to turn, turn away from that which has led them astray and to turn back to you, Father God. Burden them, Father God. Burden us that we will be moved to do so and we may live for your glory and your glory alone. Again, we thank and we praise you for your word, Father God. We thank you for exposing and revealing those areas in our lives, Lord, in which we need to grow. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.